listening to episode 245 of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. My name's Dave. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we continue our analysis of Joss Whedon's Dollhouse. And, dude, it was snowing today. This is utterly preposterous. I am tired of it. (laughs) I was out there today. We're still... Yeah, you know, my wife coaches. Uh, well, actually, I help my wife coach uh, our daughter's lacrosse team, and every practice we've had has just been freezing. It's just you know, ridiculous. And these, you know, it's like little fourth and fifth grade girls, and you know, and they really got good spirit and everything. They have fun out there, but it's just so cold. I'm just tired of it. Tired. Ah. Uh. Yep. I mean, no, nothing on the ground, but still, it is April 9th, for goodness sake. So anyway, all right. Well, uh, Wayne and I want to remind you, as always, like to hear from you. Email sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com. Go to the website, use the voicemail tab and leave us an audio. Record your own if you want. Send us the MP3. Tweet us at sci-fi TV rewatch. And as always, we'd encourage you to consider joining the Facebook group and join the discussions there. All right, so tonight we're going to continue our look at some of the nominees for the 2018 Saturn Awards, and we're going to take a look at Best Fantasy Television Series and Best Horror Television Series. And for me, I've seen all the fantasy shows, but only one of the horror shows. So I'm hoping you can help me out a little bit on the horror, but let's take a look at the fantasy first. Mm -hmm. So uh, American Gods is nominated, and, and... as I've said a number of times on the podcast, I, I just couldn't get into the book. I tried twice, quit 200 pages in, just didn't do it for you me. Got I tried watching in? it. I did. Oh, man. Uh, I tried watching it. It didn't do it for me. Uh, I really have a problem with Ricky Whittle going back to the dust up he had with the 100 showrunner, and I'm not going to get into that now as to my reason, but I just will not watch anything he's in. That said... Uh, Game of Thrones, The Good Place, which I think it's a show. I mean, it's a show I've watched since the beginning, and I still think it's probably a little bit below the radar. I mean, it's really funny. It's really good. I mean, how many shows discuss existential philosophy on a regular basis? True. Uh, The Librarians, The Magicians, Outlander, which, you know, is, of course, Ronald D. Moore. And, and, you know, it has a certain epic quality to it. I I do watch it. My wife watches it with me. But, you know, for me, it's kind of evolved into a flea, get captured, get rescued, flea, get captured, get and And it's just gotten a little tiresome. I mean, I'm going to stick with it. But and then the last one is Nightfall, which is a series that I review for Den of Geek. And it, it's a series that really finished strong. It's, it's a tale about the Knights Templar, but I'm trying to figure out why it's on this list because it's not fantasy. It's, it's historical drama. I mean, if night falls on here, why isn't Vikings, which is a far superior show? But all of yeah. that said, last year's winner was Outlander. So what are you thinking? Wait, I assume Game of Thrones was one of the choices last year, too. Right. Well, I don't know that. To t- I, I didn't look that up, to be quite honest. So I mean, it it, it maybe didn't air. Oh yeah, that could be the time frame. Right. Um, I mean, Game of Thrones to me is still the gold standard television wise. You know, it's just so good. Um, yeah, exactly. Like, how does Nightfall make this list and Vikings does not? That that is that just doesn't. Unless I don't know. Maybe it doesn't. No, I, I don't know. So. Um, but yeah, I mean, 
Game of Thrones is just so good. The production values are so incredibly high. The acting, writing, everything, it just it's just you know, it's it's hard yeah, for I mean, my, every, anything else I think to compare. Yeah, I mean, my choice that's not Game of Thrones and and Game of Thrones would be my choice would probably be Outlander, but I don't know. I'd really be hard-pressed to uh, pick something other than Game of Thrones. I mean, The Good Place, it is a comedy. It's only a half hour, a short season, although that, you know, I guess they're all kind of short season. But regardless, I think both you and I agree Game of Thrones is, is probably, yeah. and deservedly so, the winner here. I, now, I did like American Gods. I'll put. I know I like the book. Uh, I read the whole book, and then I watched the, uh, the miniseries, and I liked them both. But, yeah, nowhere near Game of Thrones' place there. Okay. Now, best horror television series, American Horror Story Cult, Ash vs. Evil Dead, Fear the Walking Dead, Preacher, which you, is the only one that I've actually watched with okay. Dominic Cooper and Ruth Nega, who yep. we know from Agent Carter and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. respectively, The Strain, Teen Wolf, and The Walking Dead. 2017's winner, The Walking Dead. So mm-hmm. uh, Preacher is one of those shows that it, it is kind of quirky. It, it, it is pretty dark. The acting is great, but it's not something that just really was constantly on my radar. And I realize I've fallen behind their, you know, they've built up on my DVR and I just have never gotten to them. So okay. for me, that's that's the only thing. I know you probably watched several of these other ones. Um, not really. Just uh, Preacher and The Walking Dead, actually. Oh, I okay. used to watch American Horror Story, but they was just another unfortunate victim of my, you know, cleaning out the closet and, and cutting down on a lot of TV shows I was watching. And, you know, it just wasn't doing it for me anymore. Like the the first two seasons of American Horror Story were awesome. But after that, not so awesome. I don't know. I just didn't feel it. The The Freak Show is actually pretty good. I mean, they always get really great actors. And I mean, they, and obviously they have like some of the stock ones. I think, you know, Jessica Lange is still doing it. And um, But, you know, The Walking Dead is still just so strong, just killing it on a weekly basis. And, you know, there, were t- there, there was probably a time when I started thinking, you know, I was going to dump the walking yeah there was a point at which i can't it was probably when they were fighting the governor and i'm like you know what just everything just bad happens to these people like nothing it's like they the the good is so few and far between and everything is just so bad it's starting to like kind of bum me out a little bit but uh, you know i stuck with it and they they still are you know killing off major characters at a shocking clip but they they bring in new people who kind of fill the ranks and do a great job and it's just still to me is like it's just a a, a really awesome testament as to what can be done with that genre of television all right cool well maybe some of you guys that have watched these shows want to post something on the facebook group uh, you know which one you think should be the winner sounds like the walking dead you know given what you know you've just said that is it's continually that it's continuing to be a strong narrative story so it's 
you know, can it win two years in a row? I, it might have even won in 2016. I don't yeah. know, but I uh, imagine it's probably it won't won surprise me. But yeah, I want to watch Ash for the versus Evil Dead, but it's also one of those things where, like, well, yeah, it's on Netflix, so I can get caught up with. I, it's probably like two seasons on there, and then, you know, how long do I wait before season three comes out? You know, so I don't know. At some point, I'll I'll, I'll attack Ash versus Evil Dead, and I might even go back and try out some of those episodes of American Horror Story that I uh, I miss. That's good uh, summer catch-up stuff I might be right. doing. Well, I would see the Ash versus Evil Dead promos before every episode of Counterpart, so right. it's still not, not a show that I'm drawn to, but a show I am sort of drawn to for my tip of the week this time. First of all, who doesn't like mermaids? I mean, Little Mermaid, come on. Yeah. Now, this Solid tip of movie. the week really Splash, needs to be credited. Well, good point. But this tip of the week needs to be credited to Jada Wilkerson, who posted it on the Facebook group. And it's a show called Siren. And it's on a network called Freeform that I really don't know much about Freeform. It's Channel 311 on DirecTV. It's, you know, it's down in an area I rarely go. It is definitely not your Little Mermaid. So the premise is we've got a small town, Washington State, that calls itself the mermaid capital of the world. And they're playing on a century old story about the town's founder who fell in love with a mermaid. And it's become the selling point of the town. I mean, they have a festival, there are shops devoted to it. Meanwhile, a group of fishermen catch some sort of creature who wounds severely one of the men. They call for help. And the next thing you know, a Navy SEAL team's black helicopter comes in, drops down onto the boat, takes the creature, takes the fisherman, and now they can't get any word about their missing companion. After that, a girl shows up naked on the street. A uh, good guy, you know, tracks her down, gives her a coat, takes her home. But she's clearly a mermaid who's looking for her friend. You know, I mean, we, we've certainly seen the way mermaids are handled i can't even remember the movie i saw but you know once they're on land they lose their their tail and you know whatever but Mm -hmm. you know it was pretty good i i was surprised i don't know that i'm gonna keep watching it It, you know fantasy is not you know really an area that i'm drawn to a lot but if that's something you're into i noticed on the facebook group there were several people including jada that you know were fairly intrigued by the early episodes so it's called Siren Freeform. I don't know, you know, you have to check it out on your cable system if you have it. But, yeah, it's worth taking a look at the pilot. You know, Dave, I think you've been sneaking episodes of HGO, H2O, Just Add Water. I think that's what you're thinking of there. Oh. oh no, well, I don't that. know what that means. But. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a kid's show that my, my daughter has enjoyed watching for a while. It's like an Australian. Um, oh, group of mermaids and you know so they have to you know watch themselves on land and everything like that so which actually kind of it's not my pick of the week but just something that was bothering me for ages that i finally serendipitously figured it out so ruby on agents of shield right like the minute i saw her i'm like Oh my God, what was she in? And I'm racking my brain. I'm like, well, it can't be Heroes. She's way too young. You know, I'm trying to think of every sci fi show that ever had a young girl in it 
I'm like, was she in it like as a kid or something? That I'm thinking, and it was just driving me nuts. And and the other day, my daughter is sitting watching something on on television on like Nickelodeon channel. My nine year old, and I'm like, there she is. She's Liv and Maddie. So there's this show called Liv and Maddie, and she plays twin sisters. So she plays both roles. Uh, okay. Each of the twins, which I don't know why they just didn't hire a pair of twins to play the role, but whatever. Um, and so, you know, I never, I never made that like leap that maybe I know this girl not from a science fiction show, but from the shows that my daughter watches that I hate. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, is that your tip of the week? No, that is not my tip of the week. And the tip of the week is I, I finally finished out the Aliens movies by going back and watching. Uh, Prometheus and um, Alien Covenant, okay. which you know, like you know, I like Prometheus a lot. Actually, I think it's a pretty solid movie. Alien Covenant, not so much. It's okay. Like I watch it with my oldest, and at the end of it, he's like, "Well, that was solid," you know, which I think is like teen speak for it was okay, you know. But certainly nowhere near as good as you know, Alien and Aliens. Which were the you know, obviously the the you know the high water marks of that series, but uh, still really good solid action adventure movies and so yeah I went through I've watched all six movies and thumbs up on all of them. Okay, cool. All right, well, let's get to some listener feedback. And, you know, before we get into that, you know, one of the decisions we've made is we're going to start putting the feedback at the end of the podcast rather than the beginning. And I'm not sure how we ever decided to do it this way, but for whatever reason, I think it makes more sense. So uh, what we're going to do tonight, because Fred from the Netherlands sent us two pieces of feedback, one to do with the librarians, one to do with Dollhouse. So we're going to take a listen to his librarian's feedback now, and then we'll hold his dollhouse till the end, which is, you know, where feedback in the future is going to go. So let's take a listen to Fred's thoughts on the librarians, and then we'll be right back. Hello, Dave and Wayne. This is Fred from the Netherlands with his seventh librarians flashback section. In your last dollhouse podcast, I announced to continue making these librarian feedback sections. Uh, In the meanwhile, I watched season two, episodes four, five, and six, and was preparing my audio feedback as I suddenly realized how annoying I would find it if I would, for instance, watch Dollhouse and listen to your podcast and get all kinds of information about another series that I have not seen yet, but but a series I'm planning to watch in the future. When I did this within your Season 4 Librarians podcast, this was not so much of a problem, of course, since one can assume that if people are listening to a podcast about season four uh, of a certain series, they have already seen season two. I do not hate many things, but people who give others solid spoilers is one of them. So I think I sadly will have to discontinue this librarian's feedback sections, because otherwise the conclusion would be that I hate myself. If, however, the librarians will get a fifth season, and of course everybody hopes that that will happen, I could continue doing this. One piece of feedback I had already prepared, and I do want to give. Two times in previous flashback sections, I reported a possible lesbian tendency in Cassandra. In End the Drowned Book, Season 2, Episode 1, Isabella, 
Italian nobility, um, to Cassandra. Here's my number. And if you're ever in Milan, just call me, okay? Ciao, Bella. Cassandra is clearly enjoying the embrace and the kiss on the cheek. Second example, and in the Fables of Doom, Season 1, Episode 6. Cassandra gets the role of Prince Charming and has a whole bunch of young women falling into admiration for her. She says, I didn't mind all these girls buying me drinks. The both of you didn't react to these remarks, neither when I was talking about Cassandra as Prince Charming nor as when I was talking about Isabella. But listen what you said way back in your podcast. You know, I I wonder, uh, I mean, certainly we talked about last time where uh, Cassandra gets the phone number from the hot chick at the museum. and, And, you know, certainly, I mean, do we read something into that maybe maybe it's just a just a a good girlfriend you know well there's also the you know the girls who were attracted to her in the uh the fairy tale episode exactly uh so you can imagine i really enjoyed hearing that and that you did notice the same things as i did i thought okay same thoughts same way of thinking same wavelength very nice I really wonder if this lesbian tendency theme will come back. I have two short things about episode 5 and 6. Episode 5 and the Hollow Man. It's a story mainly about the recovery of the Eye of Zarathustra, which is in possession of Ray, who eventually proves to be the spirit of the library. Flynn gets all excited because he finally can talk to the library. After the librarians meet Moriarty again, Eve to Cassandra. Cassandra, please do not fangirl over this art villain. I love the interaction between Eve and Moriarty. One quote from just before they get in the gar- in the, into the car together. Moriarty, if you don't trust my virtue, trust my self-interest. And Eve sighs deeply. Moriarty, smashing, and we get to spend a bit of time together. Eve, ah, you're not as charming as you think you are. And Moriarty, I'm precisely as charming as I believe I am to the decimal place. Episode 6 and the Infernal Contract is a story about the family Keating that is successful in the town of Hearthrow. Every 44 years they have to pay the devil with souls. So disasters happen in the town. One of the Keatings is running for mayor and his opponent is Kate's old love interest Sam Danning. I like this episode a lot better than The Hollow Man, but looking up the director, that's not so strange. Jonathan Frakes, our commander Riker. Talking about Star Trek, in this episode we also see John DeLancey DeLancey, uh, as the devil's sole contractor, Mr. Cecilman. He is playing a very similar evil, tricky, sneaky, teasing character as uh, Q. He really sounds like Q. Last quote of my librarian's feedback sections, uh, in the la- and it's the last sentence of episode 6. Jenkins to Eve. I told you once the library did not choose you for your ability to kill. The guardian's job is not to save the librarian's bodies, it's to save their souls. And you did that admirably today, Colonel. This was all. Greetings, Fred from the Netherlands. 
Fred brings up the fact that it appears Cassandra likes women rather than men from a relationship standpoint. And it's obviously something we've talked about, as as Fred points out with our audio clip. And the more I think about it, I, I wonder if that's just meant to keep us off balance, because, you know, really, as we've said, other than Flynn and Eve, the relationship angle for all the other characters has really virtually been non-existent. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, with there's no question they put those, you know, in they put that out there. Also, I think they they then say, well, you know what, it's really not an issue, so you shouldn't worry about it either. You know, basically. Yeah. Um. So she can, you know, kind of be, you know, enchanted with girls. She could be enchanted with boys. It's like, don't don't sweat it because really, like you said, they don't really play up any kind of relationships with and we haven't seen like Ezekiel's had no chance to even have any spark romance and the uh the one time they even did suggest a romantic thing it was with Jake and the the counselor at camp right right so yeah well you know what it's all magic so exactly exactly all right well Fred also brings up John Delancey I mean, come on. It's always great to see Q. Awesome. Yeah. No, no, no matter what role he's playing. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, love, love John yeah. Delancey. Yeah. We, but, I, uh, I'm sure we geeked out pretty hard about that when we discussed that episode originally. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, Fred, we'll get to your dollhouse feedback at the end of our discussion. So, why don't we jump right into it? Dollhouse episode four, season two. It's funny how you say jump right in after like 20 minutes. Uh, entitled Belonging, <laughs> written by Marissa Tancherone and I Jed Whedon, yeah. who are the current showrunners for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I, like, I ran uh, that also, back. I'm like, wait, what was that? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. wow, look at They that. also wrote episode 103, Stage Fright, episode 110, Haunted, with Jane Espenson, and then they wrote the teleplay for 113, Epitaph 1, directed by Jonathan Frakes. And yep. this is a, his only directorial involvement in dollhouse but of course we know him from his multiple shows on librarians and it aired october 23rd 2009 let let's get this grading out of the way now i i just think this is the the best episode of the series bar none to this point well yeah i I don't know if i'd say bar none because epitaph one was so freaking good Um, it was but this one was really freaking good too like this, I mean, I'm I'm going I'm going A plus. I'm telling I, you, now. I, I'm happy with I I will solidly give this an A plus. I am not ashamed to do that, Dave. I'm not ashamed to join you on that one. All right. Now we had two guest stars of note: Vincent Ventresca, who played Nolan Kennard, the the Rossum Doctor, yeah, man. and then Keith Carradine. Yeah, Keith Carradine as Matthew Harding, the Rossum top exec, who was just so subtly evil. Yeah, I mean. Nolan Kennard, he was just flat out evil. There was, was evil, no, yeah. right. But but Keith Carradine's character, wow. But uh, you know we got a lot to talk about, and you know we're probably going to jump around here, and, and so bear with us because we see the dollhouse at its absolute worst, and there's nothing Dewitt can do to protect her assets, and and calling them assets, I think it is we we've reached a point. Even with Topher, 
that they're not assets, they're people, they're human beings, and, and that really comes across tonight. Yeah, well, especially since you know, we figure out you know, pretty early that when we're seeing Sierra at the beginning, it's that she's not Sierra yet, that this is who she was before she became Sierra, who we actually saw a little bit in, a, in another episode, right? Well, right. Right. I mean, you know, the opening scene where we're given that title one year ago and Priya is selling jewelry on Venice Beach with another woman. You know, she's got the little table going and and Nolan approaches her about creating a work of art for him. And, And clearly we know right away it's some sort of a come on. We just don't know to what extent he's going to be willing to go. But he's like creepy, like right away. Right. Well, he is. Yeah. And then when we fast forward to that party at his place, which I, at first I thought was a show for right. her because he had mentioned that. He as, said he's going to do a show, co- right? Yeah. Right. But it's really just to celebrate the one painting she does for him. It turns out that he also works with perhaps for Rossum. It, it seems as if more with them than for them. But he doesn't want a doll. He wants Priya. Yeah. And it's all about getting her to fall in love with him. And when it's clear she's not going to, then everything escalates. But right. this well, at which point he decides, well, I guess I'll take her as a doll then. Well, well, right. But I mean, the first thing, though, we see is this party, as uh, Keith Carradine's character points out, this is a really elaborate. I don't know if he uses the word expensive seduction because not only do we have echo we have victor and who the heck knows who these other party goers are i mean some of them very well might be from the dollhouse although it would seem a little odd that they you know send all of their actives to this one event but uh, you know who knows yeah well how pathetic is this guy right that like he has to have like the dolls even nudging her towards him you know like and like not only does she not go for the nudge that of Victor trying to say how impressive Nolan is, but she ends up wanting to leave with Victor. Right. You know? And, and, and that's obviously another storyline that really gets explored, that connection that we've seen developing over the first season and a third. But um, Echo starts talking to her about power and who actually wields it. And, and again, that's something that, that we heard a little bit about last week. Her work has that bird motif, and as Victor, who's supposed to be, I guess, some art critic, free, always moving, searching for something better. And while I think that's really meaningful and articulate, I guess I look at that idea of the bird because she's also painting birds as Sierra back at the dollhouse. Right. That 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 notion that you know, she does want to be free. She does want to leave the nest. She does want to fly away, but she just can't. Yeah. And and that's, you know, kind of like, um, reinforced when she can't even get out of the door, right. Of the, the party. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you know, it does seem as if DeWitt cares more than we've seen in the past. I mean, in the past, it's as if she cared about the actives to the point that they truly were assets for the dollhouse that would, you know, either make or break her bottom line. But mm-hmm. it really takes a turn tonight. I mean, he has crossed a line that 
it, it's almost as if she didn't anticipate this line getting crossed. And that seems crazy. Well, you know, I guess she doesn't understand the world she's in, you know, like she doesn't know, like, I mean, she gets that these guys are rich, but she doesn't understand she's been, you know, bitten by the Rossum fly trap, you know, and just like how incredibly powerful these guys are who are used to doing whatever they want, whenever they want to do it. Right. But I mean, what's... uh Agent Koenig, the actor's name. Y- you the, know who I mean. The, the the episode where the guy's wife died, and every year. Oh, oh yeah, uh, Oswald Patton. Oswald. I mean, and we said at the time, still, as bad as you feel for him that his wife died and never got to see the house, as as, as nice as he is to <clears throat> Echo, he's crossing a line. Now, yeah. granted, not the same line that Nolan Kennard is crossing. Right. But, but you know, there's just very little room for debate with these romantic engagements, which basically are what we have pretty much seen throughout the whole episode. And that's, you know, maybe not what the dollhouse is all about. You know, perhaps there are other engagements that we're not seeing that would be less intrusive, less, you know, morally uh, reprehensible so you know we don't know we can only go by what we see but this is getting so bad that now even Topher has developed a moral center right and while Boyd finds that somewhat amusing there there's really no levity in this episode and and with good reason I, I mean there's a little bit early on but yeah you're definitely not a lot because again, the guy who is the source of all the levity is like really serious. Um, now, the other thing was we see another side of Boyd and his ability to quickly concoct that cover story for Nolan's disappearance and then the wherewithal to dispose of the body. And I, I'm wondering his insistence that Topher handle the body. Is that intended to wake him up to the reality of what it is he's involved with? Because uh, he's insisting Topher cut the body yeah, up. Yeah. There, there's definitely an element of like when you screwed up and you were a kid and your dad made you fix it, you know, there, and, and not that Topher screwed up per right. se, but, um, you know, like in Boyd's eyes, but there certainly is. Yeah. I think absolutely. I, here's here's what it's really like it's nice and safe in your cushy room when you're just pounding on a keyboard and inserting discs and stuff like that but this is the real stuff here you know this isn't played around in a lab this is the real life these are the real consequences of what you do Topher right and as he says I was just trying to help her and he's right when he says he was lied to so as you just kind of alluded to a minute ago, I mean, it really isn't his fault. I mean, it is, but not to the extent that it was carried out. That That's really not his fault. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I think he did all that could have been expected at the time. So did, here's my question. Well, yeah, because he, he put in uh, Priya again, right? And he wasn't supposed to. Now, you mean at the end? At the end, yeah. Because yeah. I'm, I'm trying to say, oh, yeah. like, how much is it Topher's fault? Well, 
he she wasn't supposed to be Priya, right? It was supposed. I don't know what it was supposed to be, but someone who's more amenable. And maybe we can talk about this more later. But you know, he threw Priya out there with no, like, obviously she's going to be pissed. She's going to want revenge, but she's not going to. Re- you know, he didn't like put any ninja skills in her or anything like that to like that she could take care of business. So I don't know what he was trying to accomplish here. I guess by sending her well, in there right. as Priya. Well, right. Uh, other than waking her up. But, you know, and again, is waking up really called for at this point? Is this now the best time? And like you said, we kept waiting for ninja skills. Right. Though when she picks the knife up, she really doesn't hesitate. Yeah. And she she gets the job done. She does indeed. But there was almost something like Freudian-esque. Or like in a satisfying in a very Freudian way of of how she killed it. like like that like shooting someone doesn't I don't know like I've I haven't I'm not a serial killer and I haven't thought about this a lot but when you want to really attain revenge on someone to be sitting on top of that person thrusting a knife into time and time again especially someone who was exercising sexual power over you before you know there's something kind of on the psychological level that, that works there um, as far as achieving revenge, you know, it's the quintessential crime of passion. If we can even call it a crime. I mean, I mean, it is obviously murder or kill people. It's crime. Kill killing is a crime, but you certainly can understand. And I think a judge and a jury would probably be hard pressed to convict her. Right. On, on anything other than, but, you know, again, now. you know, when you, you know, you got the cleanup crew, then you don't have to worry about the legal system and all that messy stuff. Right. Now, you know, one of the things before we get too far that I wanted to throw out there, obviously the tone and the mood's very dark. And, and I'm wondering, and, and we even mentioned Epitaph 1 as having been written by Marissa Tancheron and Jed Whedon. And because of the way epitaph one was placed you know it, it it never really aired right it just appeared on the dvd set right yeah it was a it was it was an extra part of the if you bought the dvd which right, of course because, everyone who watched dollhouse went out and bought the dvd right because they were required to have 13 episodes and they only had 12 so they created this so can it be considered at this point a possible future or are we to see it as the future that this is what happens or this is what could happen and and we don't have to answer it now because it can certainly be interpreted at this point either way but i just want to throw that out right. there something well, that i had thought about well i think if you saw epitaph one and then you see in this episode a lot of things happening that play out there uh you know, Topher's, especially with Topher and DeWitt. And we see her resistance to Rossum and Topher's conscience pangs and apparently beginning now to see the opposite side of what he's been doing. That, well, if Epitaph 1 is the future, we see that, you know, leads him to madness. And and we noted about that, like the relationship between DeWitt and Topher and how 
motherly she is towards him in Epitaph 1. And we, again, we see that as well here too, as, you know, as DeWitt and Topher united in their opposition to Rossum and, and, you know, but also united in their their feelings of, of futility and not being able to to do anything about their frustration. Right. Like she says, believe me when I tell you, you have no choice. Right. And she's got her arm really tenderly, you know, on his shoulder, as you said, just really motherly towards him. Because as Keith Carradine's character tells DeWitt, do it, don't do it. But I can tell you, you're not going to like the retirement plan. Yeah, exactly. And I'm so thinking, well, what does that mean? They're going to kill her? Let's send her to the attic, I bet. Uh, okay, I guess. Yeah. Which, I mean, we don't I'm know. Sure, but which is worse. Exactly. Exactly. And so the, the thing is, we can't even condemn DeWitt by saying, well, she's just trying to hold on to her job. No, she's not. Because, like, she she can't. Like, I'm sure if, if she had the option, she would just say, fine, I'm out. I don't want anything to do with it. I'm walking away. But that's not an option, you know. So it's really, right. she and, and literally it, has, if she wants to remain alive or not be put into the attic, then she has to do as she's told. Right. And I think she also has to be considering the dollhouse moving forward and now with this realization of what might be expected moving forward, she could perhaps take some precautions to prevent this sort of a thing from happening again. Likely it will happen, but perhaps she can minimize the damage. But as you say, the main thing is staying out of the attic herself, which is you know, you yeah. know, first and foremost. Right. But, and, and, but and it's not just her and actually not just Topher, because apparently Boyd is also into kind of breaking the rules now or, or whatever, because he knows about Echo, uh, but he's letting it slide. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, you know, we, we get little bits and pieces of his life outside and before the dollhouse. And it's like, and he makes the phone call, you know, it's like, he, I know a guy. So, yeah, um, of course he does. But yeah, but, you know, it's all about the consequences of our actions. And, and obviously an institution like the dollhouse comes with consequences and they've sort of been fooling themselves that yes the consequences are all going to be positive you came in here with emotional trauma and you're going to leave you know uh, you know more whole than when you started well that may or may not be true but but clearly um, you know it, it's an example uh, of a well-worn theme in science fiction the technology and the scientists really losing control of what it is that they're creating and just not having the foresight, you know, just, just not being able to look up from their work and, and say, Hey, you know what? Maybe this isn't such a good idea, but yeah. Yeah. And, and that, uh, right. You're absolutely right. That That's always a uh, big theme in science fiction, but in dollhouse, it really becomes this very pervasive scene. Well, not becomes, I mean, I think it has been pretty much since, Word one, we've been talking about it since I think the pilot about how this is, yeah, like the lack of consideration of the consequences for almost all of these characters. You know, that that's that's a big thing in the dollhouse, yeah. And, and this event with 
Priya seems to be the catalyst for Topher's conscience to emerge, and, and he's having a, a difficult time coping. And as the story progresses, both he and DeWitt really become shells of their former selves. I mean, DeWitt, not that we didn't see her drinking before, but it, virtually every scene she's mm-hmm. got a drink, and, and, and clearly she's just trying to dull the emotional pain. And, and even she's questioning the morality of the dollhouse. I mean, she's been pushed too far. And uh, Keith Carradine's character even brings up the fact that they know about her Miss Lonely Hearts yeah, right. with Victor. Right. And they say, well, it's okay. We don't care. You know, everybody takes something home from the office. That, that's that's fine. <laughs> but don't think you're better than our clients. And there's an element of truth to that. There is, but it also, I, I don't know. I guess when we talk about control, like she was manipulating, controlling Victor just as much, well, you know, Maybe not quite as much as Nolan is, but Nolan's is just so, I don't know, just seems so dark and twisted, right? Like, well, sure. DeWitt just seemed like it was coming out of, well, she called herself Miss Lonely Hearts. It was coming out of loneliness, you know? It wasn't sex per se. I mean, they had sex, but it wasn't necessarily about the sex, I don't think. It was more about connection for her and just being able to talk to another human being, which we see at work, she's unable to do. For Nolan, it's not that. It's all about control and sex and power, and therefore it's it's much darker. So I'm not necessarily I'm not I'm not saying that what Dewitt did wasn't morally corrupt, but it just wasn't quite as bad as what Nolan's doing. You know, like we're more right. sympathetic because we feel a little sorry for her with hers well right and you know we we talked about it earlier in in the dollhouse discussions in season one that we don't really know what these people were told they would actually be doing during their five years you know are they made aware that the vast majority of your engagements may be sexual in nature right so are you cool with that i mean we don't know yeah we've we've Wondered about that before. Yeah, we d- we just don't know. I imagine that would be something they would need to disclose, you know? like uh, You would think. I at mean, at the end I, of five years, believe. you got like herpes or something. It's like, well, how this I happen? mean, you also got to believe that the contracts they're signing are pretty ironclad and probably cover just about all possible scenarios but but you never know but one scenario i wonder about before i forget you know at the end when boyd is having topher take care of the body and there's that phone call to dewitt does she really know what he's doing with nolan's body or is it simply to provide plausible deniability figuring that somebody's probably listening to our phone call or it's going to be recorded. I mean, does she know that they're cutting up the body and going to dump it in acid? I don't know. I, I don't think she knows that. Um, I don't even know if she knows that he was killed, does she? Well, because I don't know. Topher See, fields that, that car, right? Or no, well, Topher's already I, there. No, I, Topher's there, yeah. right, and, and Boyd's there. He's talking to DeWitt. Right. And, and he's telling right. her 
you know what he's telling her the cover story yes so i and, think and, yes. and my question is is he winking as he's telling her i think he's telling her the story that like you said the in the likely possibility that someone else is listening in as well as just like you said plausible deniability he's telling her the story that she needs to hear she's choosing to accept that story and not thinking beyond that as to what actually probably went down there. Okay. Okay. Now uh, let's let's move on to Priya for for a moment. And yeah, I mean, we've talked a little bit about her already. Uh, the fact that she's unlike the other dolls, at, at least as we know them, that they were all we assume volunteers to the program, whereas uh, of course she was not. Absolutely was but, not. Yes. Right. But will she now be scarred from killing Nolan, an, an experience that's typical of the type of trauma that leads these individuals to sign up for the dollhouse in the first place? Right. Well, she tells Topher, when I wake back up, take me back to how I was when I got here. She's like, I don't want to remember this. So, well, right. And Topher even tells Boyd she doesn't belong in the dollhouse. And Boyd says, well, she does now. Yeah, she does now. Right. Yep. I think as a result of, you know, the, the emotional trauma, she's going to someday possibly have to deal with. Or is Topher going to do as she requests? Just edit that out of her wedge. I mean, well, even if he does, as we see with all of the um, the dolls that, you know, those strong imprints, those strong emotional memories they don't go away. Like even now, right. Victor has kind of like a flashback um, as he and Sierra are kind of putting the black paint on each other and he goes back to you know being in the army again, which again, we saw that uh, before. So yeah, like those things don't get covered up by the the wipes. And so right. I, I, I have a feeling like, yeah, Topher will wipe all this memory from her as far as from the wedge but i I think like that deeper emotional memory that's not going to change it's not going anywhere right and you mentioned earlier in the podcast about what was topher really trying to do when he wakes up priya for that final engagement with nolan because she's not going to have to live with what she's done but obviously he is and right i don't think that's again like you asked and i i don't have an answer what was he thinking what did you think was going to happen yeah yeah and did you not think that there were going to be consequences because even if she hadn't killed him obviously the guy nolan at some point is going to realize what happened and he's probably gonna be pretty pissed you know yeah and so what are you going to say to for that oh well hey i didn't realize that's the that's the wedge i put in there oh my god I can't believe I did that. Such a silly Billy. So I, I, I feel like that is still kind of Topher proceeding without thinking about the consequences once again. Now, Priya asks Topher if her love for Victor is real. It got me to think about what does that imply? I mean, is she like Echo becoming self-aware, even if on a smaller scale? that's that's a good question i don't think she's really becoming self-aware but there's but there is this 
again, this deeper connection between her and Victor that the wipes don't get rid of. You know, it's just part of this whole thing that there's a a, a level, and I guess I said with the, that emotional level of the mind that you know is beyond the the reach of Topher's technology. And, and really, this was I guess we'd almost have to call it an Echo Light episode. I mean, outside of Epitaph One, she's pretty much been the the focal point of of every episode, and and it was really great to see sierra her backstory and and how she you know got to this point but we still got echo watching over them and and that relationship and that connection that's forming between victor and sierra and and it's really sweet that echo is watching them but then we learn that she can read and write echo that is right and has been recording her engagements and details about sierra and victor so the yeah. question is why so yeah. that i'll remember yeah um could be i mean then that that goes back to i guess the agreement when you sign up for the dollhouse is you'll be there five years and when you're done we will reinstall your original uh consciousness but you'll be missing those five years and echo doesn't want to miss those five years this is her record of those years and and yeah. that makes sense and of course yeah. it it shouldn't be happening at least according to Topher, right because he's making clean wipes it shouldn't right. be happening yet it, it is right absolutely right there's clearly evidence there that that uh, the wipes don't don't quite work as well as he thinks right now another detail that that is brought up in this episode is the idea of a permanent imprint, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that's in fact what Nolan wants done with Priya. You know, you know, forget all of these individual engagements, just imprint her and send her to me. Yeah. Well, I guess technically Topher did what he asked, just didn't imprint her. With <laughs> yeah, the, uh, exactly, with what he was expecting her to be imprinted with, you know. Right. Um, right, but 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 we find out about Doctor Saunders, aka Whiskey. What, and, what did we find yeah, out? I mean, well, uh, that she was permanently imprinted with the Doctor Saunders. We knew that persona. Well, but I don't think it was ever. But no, but I mean permanently. So I don't think the idea of the permanence. I mean, we knew she was imprinted. Right. But we but. What does that really mean, permanently imprinted, as right. opposed to temporary imprinting that Topher does on a daily basis? So yeah, we, well, we, we saw with that with the especially with the remote wipes that really that idea of permanent imprinting is just definitely not a thing, right? It, it, right, and and this is is sort of a prelude to what happens in Epitaph One. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, all right. Now we get to the end. Who gives the key card for the secured systems to Echo? Yeah, I mean, right. I assume it's Boyd. Well, yeah, exactly. We assume it's Boyd, but we don't know for sure. But but yeah, I mean, who else, right? Uh, only because it uses the same language that she used. So, I mean, it could be DeWitt. It could be Topher, although I really just feel like Topher is just in an emotional 
struggle that it's almost as if he can't notice, which is something that Echo accuses him, rightly so, that you're not looking hard enough, right? That you should have been looking for these things all along, given the gravity of what it is you do, and yet you weren't. Well, so so I, I I think it makes most sense that it was is Boyd that gives her that card. Yeah, absolutely. Because I don't think anyone else really knows what Echo is, you know, how what she's able to do. And, right. and, and this, of course, is talking about Sierra's painting, and you know what what's what Echo sees in it, and you know the bad man, and and just really again trying to protect Sierra from. You know, this man that obviously has been abusing her. But you mentioned Victor and, and when he and Sierra were, were painting each other with the paints. And, and it's funny because, you know, we've seen the dolls in the shower before and we've seen Victor. Well, we, we haven't seen, but Topher tells us that he has a man reaction every time he sees Sierra. <laughs> but the two of them fully clothed and just kind of painting each other. And what is he doing with the paints? He's trying to basically get rid of them so she's not able to basically work out her emotional trauma. Right, which on the one hand, you understand what he's trying to do, but on the other hand, that's probably not the best thing for her. It probably is good for her to be able to get it out through a painting rather than to keep it inside. Right. So, yeah, um, but, but I don't, Victor doesn't like, probably doesn't really get that. All he sees is, you know, he's making a very kind of, you know, one-to-one connection. The paint makes Sierra sad. So I'm going to get rid of the paint so she won't be sad. Right. But she also compliments Victor on taking matters into his own hands and in that brief flashback to the war scene, his dilemma is that apparently his platoon leader has been killed. He's next man up and he's freaked out and doesn't want to take charge. Mm-hmm. I mean, we don't see a lot, but we do see that and hear that. Right. So yeah. I found that pretty fascinating that that here at, at this level, this is a pretty big step for Victor to be taking. Sure. Take those paints and get rid of them. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, oh, <laughs> you know, as as DeWitt is recognizing Topher's growing moral dilemma and just re- really how it's destroying her, I don't understand why she tells him this when she says, everyone was chosen because they were morally compromised. You were chosen because you have no morals. I mean, at this yeah. point, that just seems like a, a cruel thing to do, particularly yeah. when we see the other ways that she treats him you know, much, much more tenderly and much more understandingly. Yeah, I, I think it's just uh, her being just, yeah, I mean, she's just being brutally honest, right? I mean, she's right. Like, part of the reason, like, he got this job was because he is the guy we were talking about before, the guy who doesn't think about the consequences who's just wrapped up in the tech excited about you know pushing the limits of what can be done and not thinking about what those limits might actually mean 
And that's the type of person Rossum wants there. You know, the person who will do as he's told and, you know, push the sides as far as he can and not think about what the actual implications of that might be. Right. And, and the problem is you've got one of your dolls that won't do as she's told. And, and in fact, Boyd asks her when she learned to lie and that I know what you're doing. Some people aren't ready to wake up. And then, of course, that's when she tells him that a storm is coming and they need to know it and be ready. So, you know, because of using that language, you know, on the note with the key card about right. the storm coming. Right, right. I, I'm, I'm, it's, yeah, yeah it was got to be, right, yeah. Uh, that was a really telling scene, though, because, like I said, A, he tells her, all right, I know what you're doing. She's like, all right, yeah, so? And he's like, listen, just watch your back. You know, so where, I mean, he's the head of security, you know, what would Mr. Dominic have done had he discovered that Echo was – well, he did pretty much discover that, right? So – Yeah. Um, and look what happened to him, right? So I guess Boyd might say, all right, well, you know, the the last guy who tried to tangle with Echo got sent to the attic. So I think maybe I'll just let this slide. But I think it goes beyond that. I think he's actually sympathetic and wants to encourage her. But he's like, take it slow, you know, don't try to do it all at once or people are going to get hurt. And of course, for those of us that have seen the entire series, you know, there is something about Boyd that will reveal itself. That's as, spoilers, as forward. spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. But then that that final scene, you know, as he's about to wipe Sierra and return her to the doll state that idea that they have a secret and she asks him, can you keep it? And he says, yeah, I can keep it, but I don't know if I can live with it. And obviously we know, as you mentioned, you know, Topher in epitaph one, clearly he can't live with it. And and it really is is the first thing. And, and maybe the principal thing that, just sends him down that dark path from which there is no return for him yeah absolutely yeah i don't we don't see him there yet but we certainly see like you said i think taking those first couple steps down that road no question about it what else you got that you want to bring up well just the uh i kind of like how they had the one flashback scene that you're really not sure it's a flash because all of a sudden it's like wait why is Boyd echo's handler hey how come dewitt's hair is long again oh it's a flashback so I, I thought that was really cleverly yeah. done. Cause yeah, just, because they don't do it a lot. Right, right. And they don't do like a big wipe of the screen or anything. They just cut to the next scene as if it's the next scene. And it's like you just got to pick up on those little details to to realize it. But, you know, obviously we do realize it ultimately. Yeah, I think that's it. You know, I think Boyd, a little bit of voyeurism there. When Echo is reading, he... You know, he takes a picture, but like, you know, like he has a camera or something and he basically zooms in on her chest. And I'm like, you know, I'm not so sure he's after the book here, what he's actually going after here. So there might be some kind of, you know, thing there between Boyd and Echo going on. All right. Well, as we said at the beginning, uh, we're going with an A plus on this one. And, uh, you know, you rightly so, as you mentioned, uh, I think it was last week. Maybe, the, I don't know, but, but you, you want to reserve those pluses for season two down the road because 
while I think we forget, at least I forget a lot of the details of these individual episodes because it's been several years since I've seen them. There's a lot of good stuff in season two. Yeah, absolutely. I remember like, again, um, similarly, I don't really remember the individual episodes. And so like watch this, I'm like, Oh, I kind of remember that. But like when, you know, when I realized that Sierra was Priya, her original personality, like I didn't remember that from before. So that was still like kind of like a surprise here. Um, though I, I, as the episode was going, I'm like, oh, I'm pretty sure she's going to kill that guy at the end, you know? So, um, yeah. but, but yeah, it's, it's cool to kind of go back and, but I, I do remember that the, uh, the season two episodes were, were very strong and I liked season two more than I liked season one. So yeah, we gotta be, we gotta be careful with the handing out the A pluses. I think there's going to be more moments that we're going to want to do that as, as the season progresses. All right, well, let's go ahead and move into the listener feedback and hear what Fred has to say about this episode of Dollhouse. So let's take a listen. Hello, Dave, Wayne. This is Fred with some feedback for Dollhouse Season 2, Episode 4. But first off, I watched Episodes 1 and 2 before I watched Episode 3 last week. In the meanwhile, I also listened to your podcast about these first two episodes from October 2017. And I really shouldn't have done that. Because in the podcast for episode 2 you talk about The Gifted, a new Marvel show about mutants. Mutants like in the X-Men. Since I'm quite an X-Men fan, including Rebecca Romaine as Mystique, who we of course know from The Librarians as Eve, I had to check this show out. Looks interesting indeed. Oh gee, oh gee, another series coming up. This show also includes Amy Acker, who we know as Dr. Saunders. Actually my second favorite character from Dollhouse. And The Gifted also seems to get a second season, if I should believe IMDb. Of course you could say, hey Fred, if you're such a big X-Men fan as you are suggesting, why didn't you know about this series? Well, one, I have a job too, you know. And two... I fully, fully trust guys like you to pinpoint such shows out to me. As long as I'm not listening to the right sci-fi TV rewatch, rewatch podcast episode, I just don't get it. Another example of this is in the Librarians podcast of season 2 episode 3, you both talk for 25 minutes about Westworld. Uh, this made me extra curious about it. Uh, and since the second season will air from April 22nd onwards, you could consider doing a Westworld podcast after finishing Dollhouse. I think quite a few people will watch or rewatch season one because of the second season is coming up. Furthermore, I currently also slowly watch Hamlet Grove, a series I really would like to watch and discuss with the two of you. And that's not because one of the lead actresses, Femke Janske, is Dutch. But it's genre, somewhat creepy, a bit Lost Girl-like. I know Wayne already watched it and was quite positive about it. Listen to what he has to say in the Sci-Fi TV Rewatch episode 555. I just, uh, I can't recommend Hemlock Grove enough. It was, it's, uh... You know, like as far as the pilot goes, I mean, it's hard. obviously I'm totally biased in my assessment, though I know the pilot was not necessarily indicative of 
of the rest of the show. You know, like it, like once it like kicks in, there's just something going on all the time. So, but I'll give the pilot an A minus. And if you don't want to pick this show up because there's just so much other good stuff out there, okay, Dollhouse episode four, Belonging. I think there are two teams in this episode. Uh, one is power, pressure, leverage, and blackmailing. And the second theme is incomplete uh, wipes, leftovers from original lives or previous imprints. My feedback is divided in the good and the bad. Well, the good is I love Echo's dress. Uh, Dichin Lachman's acting is marvelous. First time I really liked Fran Kranz's acting, especially the last six minutes of the episode. Some quotes, Nolan. What else do you want, Priya? I want to walk out the damn door. Echo to Tover. You're not looking hard enough. You never do. Echo. You're talking matters into your own. You're taking matters into to your own hands, to Victor. Victor says, the matters are in my shirt. Miss the wit. The cold reality is that everyone here was chosen chosen because their morals have been compromised in some way. Everyone, except you. You Tover, were chosen because you have no morals. Well, in this episode we see that differently. Priya, I'm in hell. Tover, you're in Los Angeles, and I can understand the mix-up. Boyd, to Tover, you had a moral dilemma. You're first, and it didn't go well. Priya, I woke up from a nightmare, only to live in one. Okay, now the bed. Needles going full length into somebody's neck, just to give them a tranquilizing drug. There is no respect in these kind of shows for the 5 or 10% or so of viewers that do have some medical knowledge. Second bed, needles going through foreheads right through the skull. Third, using so much sulfuric acid without a gas mask. Fourth, Frank Kranz really can act. Why didn't he do this before? I wanted to give this episode 8 out of 10, but I will give it 8.5 out of 10, because for the first time I really could appreciate Frank Kranz's acting, and Dichen Lachman has risen above what I ever saw of her. Greetings, all the best, Fred. I love the insight that Echo has about Topher never looking hard enough, you know, as uh, she brings out with the painting that Sierra did. And then, of course, the medical nitpicks. And, and I think, Wayne, I, I'm sure you were the same. When we're watching Topher handling that acid without yeah. a mask, Right. Come on. Really? Well, and also, uh, yeah, and no, you have gloves, you can wear gloves. But also, if I learned nothing else from Breaking Bad, it's that you don't put the sulfuric acid into the bathtub. Am I right? Good good callback. Absolutely. A good callback to, to Breaking Bad. Now, Fred's mentioned. Uh, the acting, you know, I think last week a little bit. And he, you know, he mentions Fran Kranz as, as Topher, kind of moving to a higher plane and, and the same for Deach and Lockman. And with, with Deach and Lockman and Sierra, we, we just haven't really had a whole lot of opportunities to see what she can do. Right. Tonight, obviously, she had the opportunity to shine. And boy, did she. 
Topher, a totally different character. I mean, the you know the the range that he shows that he has. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I guess we just have to. And like I said, I mean, if you if we saw Epitaph one, then you, you saw Fran Kranz being able to go there, and we've seen a lot of um, different characters that DJ Lachlan played, but they've always kind of been like the, you know, like the, the super thief or the take charge lady or something like that, you know, um, to see her vulnerable and just herself here was like, like I said, like we, I mean, I, I know you were, I was expecting the ninja skills to come out like every other time where she's been Sierra. She's, you know, ended up, you know, maybe appearing to be a, weak and feeble woman as queen elizabeth said but actually going and kicking the crap out of some guys so when the ninja skills didn't kick in i'm like oh wow topher just sent her there just by herself uh, now fred glad you found the gifted personally i was pleasantly surprised since i'm not a huge x-men fan but i did stick with it the whole season and wayne i don't think you were able to fit it into your schedule so you still haven't seen it right i still have that seen the gifted now uh, as for a Westworld podcast, I mean, obviously, Westworld season one was awesome. And I know I'm in the minority that while I loved season one, I guess I'm just not all that psyched for season two, which I believe is coming back April 24th. I mean, we'll certainly take it under advisement, um, suspecting you don't feel the same way I do. About- I really loved uh, Westworld. I'm super psyched for uh, for season two planning a uh i just i just gotta kind of figure out when to start the season one rewatch so i kind of seamlessly eases into season two so all right sounds good but uh thanks for the feedback as always fred uh you know now uh, we're going to be transitioning as you said into you know dollhouse we will move on from there but that's going to do it for us on sci-fi tv rewatch we want to thank you for joining us love to hear what you think about you know anything that's going on in genre tv particularly dollhouse though encourage you to join the facebook group share your thoughts with the sci-fi tv rewatch community if you're already a member spread the word emails to sci-fi tv rewatch at gmail.com or voicemails via the speak pipe tab which you can access through the website And we'll be back next time to talk about Dollhouse Season 2, Episode 5, titled The Public Eye. But until then... You know, Dave, this... It was so, like... It brought back so many memories of of just to hear, like... It reminded me of times when my dad, when I'd go with him on a job, and he'd say, All right, son, in the van outside, you'll find containers of sulfuric acid, a plastic sheet, and a bag of tools.